0: I'd like to invite you on a walk. Years ago I used to marvel at how difficult it seemed to actually communicate with another person. I could say a sentence using the exact same words as my interlocutor and it might mean something completely different I would agree that I'd said the sentence and they would agree that they heard the sentence and we would both think that we knew exactly what I meant but later there would be surprise I would fail to act or they would fail to act in a way that we would expect someone to act if they had understood that sentence. I'm not exactly sure why I don't delve on this question as much, in fact I, I think it's been years since it's been in my direct attention, other than maybe it's been incorporated and worked with in some other way. Since that time, I've spent a lot of attention figuring out how to better communicate. And part of that journey was realizing how much communication truly is context-dependent and non-verbal. I could have told you this in words, before, but a trick, a trap of growing up in words, of being a young reader, of reading a lot, of forming your worldview based on words, is overweighting them for everyone else. A lot of heartache, a lot of surprise and pain come from expecting people to privilege words in a way that we don't. Most of the conversation often happens in things that aren't said moreover who or what is doing the communicating is much larger than we tend to assume when you're talking directly with another human being. You may be thinking that it's just you and them in this room, but given the collective nature of our minds, a lot of the communication is happening between groups. A lot of it is the signals that parts of the same body send to each other through their individual parts. So if you're one of those parts, you may not have the whole picture of why you're communicating what you're communicating. We often act like we must know and that we have to know because the more you're able to explain yourself the more people are able to listen to you and maybe this is a signal to the population that this person has collected enough messages from the rest of the population that they can condense and synthesize their message in a way that others can accept as reasons. A reason is a story of why you are doing or should do something It is not necessarily a causal model. Most of the time, in fact, it is not. Though if it is, then that does make that story more resilient in some way, since it is more likely that the receiver of the message will find the context in which that story makes sense. The story can change to suit the desired actions of whoever is telling the story. This is why your message might sound one way to one demographic or one person, and it might sound completely different to someone else. If the message is by ramen, then to a bunch of college kids in a liberal area, I might emphasize the appeal of ramen as a munchie or an appropriate late-night snack. If I'm going after a different demographic, say, people in their 40s who are well-paid, and upwardly mobile, I might frame it as a classy dinner meal. In both situations, the message might appear different, but it's the same. Because there are many different people, who find affinities to many different reasons we might appeal to one reason in a conversation with one person and another reason in a conversation with another person in order to convey the very same message. This leads to a lot of seeming inconsistency in people because, in words at least, it would seem that they are contradicting themselves and in words they often are. If you really want to have a general definition of a word that works with the broadest possible audience, you're going to want to see how that word is used in various contexts. This means in as many cultures as you have access to records of as well as as many cultures in time that you have access to records of. Moreover, you would want to look at the earliest use of the word and see how that differs from the latest use of the word. You'd then use this to see how the meaning of the word has changed over time. But also, you'll find that the old meanings of the word, the change of the meaning of the word, is often encapsulated in its modern usage. Even if it seems very disconnected from the original meaning, finding the root of a word will show you what that word means today. If you do this, for many words and you start using your general definition it will in a sense work for everyone but it also won't you will get a a new definition that will have the ability to draw many types of people together however it will also be far enough away from their specific local context that there will be some miscommunication involved. So you're going to surprise people if you do this, they will think They understood you when they first heard you because you're using the broad definition after all, which includes their definition. However, it will surprise them because that definition will also include many other people's definitions, some of which might not be included in the local definition. So you're going to do what Anyone must, if they're in the business of building relationships. Which is to listen again to their local definition, both to ensure that your understanding of their definition is correct, and to build on it, because surely you missed something. But also to show that when you're in Rome, you can do as the Romans do. And when you truly get to a point where they are convinced that you understand their definition, then there will be a sort of allowance that comes with that understanding. They will be more likely to listen to you and when they listen to you they will start to hear everyone else's definitions so these are aspects of words reasoning and persuasion that become important for anyone who's trying to lead many different groups at once, who's trying to build bridges between groups and unify no matter how much you know, no matter how much you know in a given subject, a person who's not you a creature who's not you knows something that you do not. This suggests that if you're in such a situation then you might always be listening. However, there are times times when it is within your strategic direction to force a confrontation, or to do something else completely. You might, for instance, need to go get water, or go take a shit, go do your work, go make your living, go listen to someone else who might have more information that would be directly useful to your purpose. However, you're not going to know what that purpose is in the first place, unless you're already listening to yourself. The training of this happens in very many different ways. You might even call it listening to God. You might call it listening to silence. Or just the way. The way things are. And you can tell. If you're listening. When. You're getting closer. To your path. And when you're not. Though if it happens. Then in a way it is just the winding of the path. If you hear a waterfall in the distance then you can tell when you're closer or farther though because of echoes and if you're in a forest with many other sounds and no direct line of sight it might take a while to confirm and realize over and over again which direction the waterfall is in. And if it's not one you've been to before then you're not gonna know what it's like until you're there. So it's hard to give reasons for going to where you're going other than the fact that the path led you there but we don't really define the path until we're on it in retrospect usually when we define the path we do it because someone demands one, either with their presence or their actions. Sometimes, by asking you. Often, by asking you. And a lot of times, you may not know why, but because we live In the context of a culture based on reason, we give reason as an answer even though we did not know until we were asked why. So, in the past, the reason you might have given was it is God's will. God told me so. The nature spirit told me so. My grandfather's spirit came to me in a dream. All of these serve to point out that your reasons, whatever they are, do tend to come from outside you, though you take what is outside and incorporate it into yourself and this we call a will. The problem with this in terms of group dynamics Is that if you just said because I said so you are one limiting the ability of the group to think as a collective by taking that from the group into your own hands and two opening yourself up as a scapegoat or a target for whatever the environment decides to do to your group. So, in an age of reason, our scapegoat of choice is reason. We Claim that we do things in the name of science or logic or facts, empiricism, the many unconclusive studies that we cite, all of these serve as scapegoats for explaining why we do the things we do, why we punish who we punish. Which is why arguments about what is genetic and what is not, what is natural and what is not, are so fiery and fraught. Because it's not really an argument about what is happening out there and what is happening in you. It's an argument about where I can put the blame for whatever I'm feeling. And somehow, if you say that something is genetic, in a lot of people's minds, that lowers the blame. And so, that gives them less of a high ground to righteously attack from. So if they have enemies, they can no longer claim the same amount of high ground, because if it is not the fact of behavior, if it is somehow natural, then there is no high ground. Of course, if a dog attacks you, you don't need to judge the dog. You can just kill the dog, thank it for its time, and move on. As a human dealing with other humans, however, especially if you don't have the means to kill or the willingness, then you might be used to other people doing your killing and punishment for you. And because of that, you're going to give wise for other people to do that punishment and killing for you. And in an age of reason, you'll appeal to reason so that they will continue to do this thing. So that you know That if you have an enemy if you have someone you dislike or if you have someone that you blame for your feelings that they can be put away or killed at a distance in the light of this any reason, which takes away the structure, the ethical structure that you may use to appeal to in order to get other people to do this killing, becomes suspect. Because of course, everything in this world is natural. I'm walking across some unused railroad tracks, there is an old Budweiser carton on the ground, faded. And these things are as natural as the grass growing by these tracks. We are natural beings. There's nothing unnatural, because if it was unnatural, it would not exist. And while people might accept that in a more sterile environment, in a formal argument, say, they will hesitate to accept it in their lives, because there are ethical structures in place that allow them to shift the blame for things. Onto other people in the name of reason. Take Sam Harris, for instance, who is somewhat famous for claiming that there is no free will, but I tell you that he believes in free will as soon as it allows him to blame religious people or American political conservatives for things that he does not like in the world. Remember the dog. We could just kill the dog and say that is what we wanted to do because the dog was biting us. But you can't do that when you're not willing to kill the dog yourself. So you come up with reasons. Reasons to make other people want to kill the dog for you. And so we say things like that dog is evil. It had a choice. And it chose over and over again to do evil things. And so it must be put down. We say things like that because we don't have the strength to put the dog down ourselves. Righteous anger serves to invigorate a group to join you in helping you do whatever you're doing. Even if you were doing the actual killing of this dog, having a crowd cheering you on allows you to do it much more easily than doing it alone and you can do it with the crowd or without even if you're among the crowd now somewhere along the way you have a group of people who came around maybe they're a sort of priest maybe they're a sort of intermediary between worlds but you have a sort of person who came around who takes reasons more seriously, who takes symbols more seriously and it's like they're playing a different game. There is an MMA fighter in China who made it his quest to go from traditional martial arts gym to traditional martial arts gym challenging the masters of that gym to a fight. And he tends to overcome them within seconds, usually under a minute. This was not met well by the Chinese government. Because traditional martial arts is used as a part of a cultural and ethical framework about the superiority of Chinese tradition in some ways. That's not the only reason, but that's certainly one that I see. And he's not actually being praised locally in the same way that he might be in some circles on the internet in circles where people are more likely to be the sort who pay more serious attention to reason and symbols and so on which brings us back to arguments a lot of times everyday arguments might be serving a different purpose from the kind of purpose that an embodier of reason might assume. In the same way that these traditional martial arts were serving a different purpose from the purpose of a combat sport like mixed martial arts so you might have in a given argument a majority of people who are arguing for the sake of justifying what they want to happen in the world and a group that is probably doing the same thing but at a different distance perhaps a shorter distance because they're generally arguing in favor of the structure of the argument itself to be one in which there are clear rules robin hansen the journalist researcher, points out that oftentimes the people who encourage simple and clear rules are people who are social losers, and there's no moral judgment in that. You might say I'm one of those myself. It's just that in order to encourage clarity in the way that people interact, you probably have to be in a situation where you've lost the game of playing the very many implicit social games that people play. So maybe what happened with reason is that you have a group of social losers who not understanding the game exactly as it was to begin with, took the game and ran with it seriously and sincerely. And so these are the the people in an argument who might be appealing to the structure of formal logic, of statistical reasoning, of using evidence in a clear and repeatable way. And when someone like this comes up against the majority of people who might be using it to justify things at a greater distance, then even if they are completely winning all the arguments or demonstrations of reason within that argument, They are in fact losing the social game, in the same way that this MMA fighter, when he went and kicked the shit in of all these traditional martial artists, very definitely lost the social political game because his social credit score was drastically lowered and his travel was restricted after his exports. Now, within the game itself, he's taking the game seriously. More seriously, we might say, than the traditional martial artists. But, out of that game, in the political game of life, he might be losing. Though, of course, his global audience far exceeds the audience of any of those traditional martial artists within their martial art because he's appealing to reason of this sort that other losers, like himself, would find appealing. In UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, there's a, a similar fighter called Ryan Hall and he takes a gamering approach to fighting one that's based in sound reasoning from first principles and a lot of analysis. We might call his process almost scientific, in fact. However, the audience might dislike him more than any other MMA fighter, and he has trouble getting fights. And that is because his play style looks kind of boring. It looks kind of cowardly. He doesn't tend to attack unless he's absolutely sure that the attack is going to be successful with little risk to himself. And so this looks very different from what we think of as an exciting fight. It looks like a lot of gauging in the same way that people might gauge each other. In an anime fight scene Where characters are just staring at each other for a really long time And moving around without doing anything What I have generally thought of as unentertaining cartoon choreography However, in person In meat, at least, looking at live recordings This is very interesting to me But only because I'm interested in this style of fighting for myself. I can acknowledge how, for, for the average viewer, this is a extremely boring kind of fight to watch. When Ryan Hall wins, he really wins. But when he wins, he does not necessarily win the hearts and minds of the audience who are watching him and some of his own opponents such as uh, grey Maynard are very infuriated because he's playing a different game in the same way that in an everyday argument someone who is arguing to justify the structures of their ethical control of their ability to control other people might be extremely infuriated if someone who's more intent on the game of argument comes in. So that the appeal to logic and statistics and so on would be seen as an attack on them, except when they're using it, because when they're using it they're using it to explain their feelings in such a way that causes less pain to them. So if someone were to come in and point out the game that they are playing by playing the game itself exceptionally well, that might be seen as an attack of sorts. In the same way that Ryan Hall, when he's fighting people like Grey Maynard, was attacking the entire system And the structure of learning that people follow by showing its flaws, by gaming the system, by fighting to win the game itself, as opposed to fighting to win politically outside of the game. This clash of cultures is probably pretty good for the world, but it's incredibly frustrating, I think, to be on either side within that clash, because on the one hand you think you're playing one game and your opponent thinks they're playing another. It's true, as in the case of the Chinese MMA fighter, that whoever is playing the more implicit game The game to win politically, through entertainment, or through justification of the status quo, is probably winning in some sense. However, in the long term, these status games tend to produce a sort of decadence that we've often characterized in the word Byzantine, where the very many political struggles result in a culture that becomes bad at the initial struggle itself. And in the case of decadent cultures of the past, they usually have to hire foreigners to fight their battles for them. Foreigners who might be like Ryan Hall, or this Chinese MMA fighter, or your average mathematician or economist in an argument around the dinner table, who remember how to win the game. Though, if that happens often enough, the gamers themselves might wonder, why are we doing this for people who've forgotten how to do this? Why don't we use our strength, our power, for ourselves? And if you find yourself in that situation, remember that your power is yours and it's mine.